Hi everyone, this is Dr. David Blumke in Madison, Wisconsin. This is the second installment of the December 2018 issue. Two topics for our introduction. This concludes my first year as editor. This year, we had a number of nice changes in the journal, and I appreciate all the support from the RSNA, from readers, and from editorial board members. The biggest topic this year was to reduce publication times for authors. The average time to publication is now much shorter. The second goal was to help explain the new research. These podcasts may be helping. We now have about 18,000 downloads a month. Also, about two-thirds of our research articles have editorials that explain the research, more than 100 editorials this year alone. The next big change is still going on. The first issue of radiology was in 1923. The journal grew in size to a heavy volume once per month, crammed with information. Now, however, we seem to learn differently, more quickly perhaps, more information to process. In the background, we now have designed a weekly issue, five or six articles a week. We send this smaller collection to readers once a week, and in 2019, we will be making this weekly email better organized. One other topic for today's introduction. The short title of the paper is LIRADS 2018, Imaging of Hepatocellular Carcinoma in At-Risk Patients. The first author is Victoria Cherniak from Montefiore Medical Center. The senior author is Claude Serlin from UC San Diego. The LI in LIRADS is for liver imaging. This special report seeks to explain LIRADS version 2018. As a reminder, LIRADS is a system that provides an organized standard for imaging and diagnosis of hepatocellular carcinoma. I know there are some radiology groups out there that have not quite made the change to implement LIRADS, even some very close to home where I work in Madison. I'm not sure why. For some of us, it's something new to learn, but LIRADS has been around since 2011, with four versions since then. I think that some of us are still not used to the world of standardized medicine. Standard reports seem to remove the creativity from our reports, but I'm quite sure LIRADS is the right direction at this time. Standard reports help patients get consistent treatments. If you have not switched to using LIRADS, let's see if I can convince you to do this. The first LIRADS version was developed by a relatively small group of insiders, 12 academic radiologists. The group started in 2008 and took three years to get the first draft in 2011. There are now four updates since then. At this point, it is no longer just a small group of academic insiders. LIRADS 2018 is starting to have very, very widespread adoption. It is now an international consortium. There are 250 LIRADS members from more than 100 institutions in 30 countries. There is a steering committee and 15 working groups. But more. LIRADS started in radiology. But LIRADS is now integrated into the most recent clinical practice guidelines outside of radiology. This is from the American Association for the Study of Liver Disease, or AASLD, about 5,000 members, primarily GI physicians. Now, the radiology imaging guidelines are integrated with multidisciplinary treatment approaches. The genesis of LIRADS is interesting to me. These guidelines start with very little evidence except for expert opinion. The goal of LIRADS is to make a diagnosis of hepatocellular carcinoma, but without requiring a biopsy. The diagnosis is from imaging alone, we go from imaging directly to treatment. There are few circumstances elsewhere in radiology where this is done. 
Imagine doing that for a brain tumor. The concept is remarkable. The actual outcome of LIRADS, impressive. A brief summary of LIRADS to remind us. Like BIRADS for breast imaging, LIRADS rating of the liver goes from 1 to 5. LIRADS only applies to patients at high risk for hepatocellular carcinoma. Patients with cirrhosis, chronic hepatitis B, or prior hepatocellular carcinoma. LIRADS 1 and 2 mean almost no chance of malignancy. LIRADS 5 means essentially 100% chance of hepatocellular carcinoma. And now the evidence is very good that LIRADS works. From the literature, LIRADS 5 has a 97% concordance with having a malignancy. If you are not using LIRADS in your practice, now seems like the right time. The motivation for LIRADS and explanation of LIRADS 2018 is presented in this very nice article. Next, on to our December research articles. The short title of our first article is Quantification of Liver Surface Nodularity at CT, Utility for Detection of Portal Hypertension. The researchers are from both France and Geneva, Switzerland. The first author is Dr. Ricardo Satoris from the University Hospital Paris in Clichy, France. Clichy is immediately northwest of Paris, 6.4 kilometers or about 4 miles from the center of Paris on the Seine River. The hospital is one of 39 hospitals in Paris. A specialty there is lysosomal storage disease, such as Gaucher disease. Clichy is the headquarters of L'Oreal, which makes cosmetics, and BIC, which makes BIC pens. There are a million nice pens out there, but one of my favorites is still the BIC crystal pen. A BIC pen can be purchased for less than 25 cents on Amazon, which seems quite remarkable. One change I noticed in BIC pens over the years is the cap. If you notice, the cap has a little hole in the end now. It looks like it is cut off, like the tip is missing. What's the reason for the hole? It turns out that little children like BIC pens also. You have probably seen the caps with teeth marks on them, sometimes from adults, but I think kids like to chew on them also. Well, once in a while, a child swallows the cap and airflow is completely obstructed. Unless, of course, there is a small hole in the cap. Quite interesting. What's the background of today's article on liver nodularity? Thousands of abdomen CT scans are done every day throughout the world. When we see a shrunken nodular liver and enlarged spleen, we think of cirrhosis. I usually dictate something vague, such as parenchymal liver disease is present. The stigmata of cirrhosis are very easy to recognize. But obviously, we usually do an eyeball qualitative assessment and not very precise. We might only dictate that cirrhosis is present if it looks quite severe. Dr. Andrew Smith is at the University of Alabama. U of A has always had an outstanding section of abdominal imaging. Many of you know of Dr. Lincoln Berland, a pioneer in abdominal CT at Alabama. He is also well known for his many papers on the management of incidental findings. He is an emeritus professor now at the University of Alabama, but he also has an apartment in the same building where I live in Madison, Wisconsin. Dr. Smith developed software for measuring the nodularity of the liver surface on CT. I like the idea because it is simple and it can be easily integrated into a PAC system. Imagine a bumpy nodular surface of the liver. The nodularity software first draws a smooth line across the anterior surface of the liver on CT. The smooth curve, called a spline, goes through the middle of all the bumps. 
Then the software simply calculates the distance between the smooth spline curve and the actual liver surface. If the number is higher, it's more nodular. In the original publications, a higher liver surface nodularity score was associated with death and decompensation from cirrhosis. Purpose. The authors of the current study asked a different question. Does liver surface nodularity correlate with portal hypertension? This is a nice question, quite straightforward. One or two definitions. How do we define portal hypertension? Significant portal hypertension is present if the hepatic venous pressure gradient is more than 10 millimeters of mercury. A catheter is placed distally in a hepatic vein and the pressure is measured. Then a balloon is inflated and the pressure is measured again. The difference between the free and wedge pressure is the hepatic venous gradient. It reflects the pressure in the hepatic sinusoids. Methods. The authors evaluated patients with cirrhosis and tried to predict the presence of significant portal hypertension greater than 10 millimeters of mercury. All the patients had a CT scan. All also had the gold standard, invasive measurement of hepatic venous pressure gradient. The first cohort of 189 patients was used to develop the software cutoff point for high portal pressure. Then they used another independent cohort of 78 patients to validate their nodularity cutoff values. Results. About half the patients had clinically significant portal hypertension more than 10 millimeters of mercury. Half did not. If the nodularity score was 2.8 or higher, the authors correctly predicted portal hypertension 88% of the time. They repeated this on the validation cohort. Very similar results, 86% positive predictive value. The authors went a step further, which was very nice. They evaluated 11 additional methods in the literature to predict the presence of portal hypertension. We will not cover all of these, of course, but to mention a few methods, the ratio of the liver to spleen size was used. Another very good measure is the ratio of the platelet count to the spleen diameter. There is also a nice calculator online to predict fibrosis called the Fibrosis 4 or FIB4 index. This uses age, aspartate aminotransferase level, platelet count, and alanine aminotransferase level. The AUC value for the liver surface nodularity was quite high at 0.88. In fact, it was higher than all of the other 11 methods that might otherwise predict portal hypertension. Conclusion. This is a nice concept that worked. The paper shows that quantification of what you see by eye on the liver surface is real and can have impact. Other ways to predict portal hypertension use only blood serum levels, but many or most patients with cirrhosis will have an imaging test to assess for cirrhosis complications such as tumor or varices. This would be a nice tool to have on the PACS workstation. It is easy to understand why it works. On the other hand, Measuring liver nodularity on a few slices on the anterior liver surface makes us think of a few things. We are in the era of artificial intelligence. With that basis, it seems likely this nodularity approach could be extended to include all of the other liver features on MRI or CT. These sorts of tools will continue to make imaging extremely important in the patient with cirrhosis. The next topic for today is a little brief and specialized, but stay with me. The authors are trying to solve a very challenging problem. The title is Acoustic Radiation Force Impulse Elastography, Tissue Stiffness Measurement in Limb Lymphedema. 
The authors are from Chang'eng Memorial Hospital in Tuyuan, Taiwan. Tuyuan is in northern Taiwan and is a manufacturing powerhouse. More than 200 of the top 500 manufacturing companies in Taiwan have factories in this area. If you fly to Taiwan from the United States, you will be landing at the International Airport in Tuyuan. From there, you can take an Uber or a taxi to the city center. It takes about 45 minutes. Background. All radiologists have encountered patients with chronic disability from lymphedema. Lymphatic obstruction seems almost untreatable. Perhaps because of that, many imaging tests are used. On MRI, nearly all soft tissues are bright from excess lymphatic fluid. Patients with lymphoma used to have invasive dye injections in the interventional lab to track the lymphatic system and look for obstruction. Now the most common approach is nuclear medicine. When I was in training, I never liked the nuclear test. It involves the injection of technetium-labeled sulfur colloid. The injection is in the web space between the fingers or the web space between the toes. Patients have much discomfort to begin with due to lymphatic distension. And the injection into the most abnormal body part certainly does not help. After the injection, gamma cameras can be used to take immediate and delayed images to look for obstruction. An estimated 2 to 3 million people in the U.S. have lymphatic obstruction and 200 million worldwide. Certainly, limb lymphedema is painful and causes much disability. Patients also have recurrent infections and poor cosmesis. Many cases are from medical treatment after lymph node dissection for breast cancer or pelvic cancer. Other than nuclear medicine, there are no quantitative methods to determine the severity of lymphedema. Purpose. The purpose was to use an ultrasound method to measure tissue stiffness and lymphedema of the arms and legs. Methods. The authors used an existing ultrasound method repurposed from liver imaging. The method is called Acoustic Radiation Force Impulse Elastography, or ARFI. ARFI has been used to measure the stiffness of the liver in cirrhosis. It is a form of elastography. A standard ultrasound machine with appropriate software can be used. Elastography in general is a method to push against the tissue to see how stiff it is. Elastography is a machine method of doing tissue palpation. This is using a mechanical plunger pushing on the tissue. However, it's hard to standardize for the plunger. Also, if you have lymphedema, it hurts to push on the tissue. But shear wave elastography with ultrasound uses a special ultrasound wave. As you know, the ultrasound wave penetrates down into the tissue but a shear wave is different. The shear wave can be generated that is perpendicular to the main direction of the sound waves deep into the tissue. The ultrasound pushes on the tissue and the shear waves move laterally compared to the downward direction of the ultrasound beam. If the tissue is more stiff, the speed of the shear wave is higher. The shear wave is detected and displayed as a color overlay on the normal ultrasound grayscale image. Results. The authors prospectively studied 64 patients with the ultrasound method. All patients also had nuclear lymphocentigraphy. The average duration of lymphatic obstruction was five years. 88% of patients had secondary lymphatic obstruction due to surgery and malignancy. 23 normal controls were also studied. Using their Siemens ultrasound, the authors had a shear wave velocity of 2.1 meters per second, that had a sensitivity of about 85% for lymphatic obstruction. The AUC of ultrasound for obstruction was quite high, 0.091.
Conclusion. In 2017, a new medical treatment for lymphedema was developed at Stanford and published in Science Translational Medicine. A drug that targets an inflammatory substance, leukotriene B4, was developed. The medicine has been licensed and needs to undergo phase two clinical trials. Otherwise, most other patients are treated with bandages and elevation of the affected limb, trying to push the lymphatic fluid out. Share wave ultrasound is commonly present on our ultrasound machines. These patients with chronic lymphatic obstruction represent a real challenge. The requirement for repeat nuclear studies seems like a poor option, but often the only option. Today's research study on shear wave ultrasound suggests the method could be used to objectively evaluate if lymphedema gets better or worse with therapy. The next topic is about the treatment of endometriosis. The title is Catheter-Directed Sclerotherapy for Ovarian Endometrioma, Short-Term Outcomes. The authors are from Seoul, Korea. Background. Endometriosis is a condition of abnormal endometrial glands and stroma outside the uterus, typically in the pelvis or related to the ovaries. The condition is common, affects 5 to 10% of women, and is a cause of pelvic pain and infertility. The first-line treatment of endometriosis is oral contraception. Surgery is usually the next line of therapy, but surgery can result in ovarian damage. Post-op recurrence also occurs about 10% per year. An alternative to surgery is needle-directed sclerotherapy. A needle is placed in the cyst under ultrasound guidance. The cyst fluid is attempted to be aspirated, but the dark cyst contents are often too thick. Sclerosis of the cyst is done with ethanol or other sclerosing agents. The recurrence rate after sclerosis in one study was 20% at six months. Complications of needle-directed therapy include spillage of the sclerosing agent into the peritoneum. In addition, septated lesions are not well treated. Purpose. The purpose of the study was to use a large catheter instead of a needle for treatment of ovarian endometrioma. Methods. This was a prospective clinical trial. 14 women were included. An MRI was done in all cases to localize the endometrioma cyst. In four patients, there was a clear path from the abdominal wall to the cyst. In 10 of 14 patients, a transvaginal approach was used. The method was to first puncture the cyst with an 18-gauge, 20-centimeter needle. A guide wire was then placed into the cyst, then the needle was exchanged for a 7 or 8.5 French pigtail catheter. If the cyst was loculated, the septations were broken down with the guide wire and a dilator. Then 95% ethanol was infused into the cyst. The patient was turned into various positions to allow gravity to affect the position of the alcohol. 20 minutes later, the alcohol was aspirated. The average cyst size was 6 centimeters. Results. Patients were followed for a median of 12 months. Ultrasound was regularly performed. There was no evidence of endometrioma recurrence. Pain scores went from about 4 to near 0 at 6 months. Antimullerian hormone was measured. This hormone is a measure of ovarian reserve. The hormone level decreases if the ovary is damaged, but there were no changes in hormone levels. Conclusion. Dr. Daniel Powell from the Department of Radiology at the University of Tennessee comments on the research study. He notes that the one-year results are superior to needle sclerotherapy. Women who failed medical therapy and who wish to maintain fertility may be candidates for this new procedure. 
On the other hand, the study sample size is small. But going forward, the interventional radiologist may have a new tool to consider for certain patients who have painful lesions, who fail medical therapy, and who do not wish to undergo surgery. That concludes this week's articles. I hope these podcasts were helpful to you. Until next time, this is Dr. David Blumke for the journal Radiology. I hope you have a good rest of your week. Also, the best of holidays to everyone, and see you in the new year.